Welcome back to the Hour Time Podcast, the podcast for watch geeks by watch geeks. I'm John Biggs. I'm Nicholas DeLeon. And today we have a unusual, uh, I guess it's a, it's a we, we don't, we haven't done this in a long time. So we have Mark Carson from uh, Mark Carson Watches. You're out in Hawaii, Mark. Welcome to, uh, welcome to the show. I'm sure it's warmer there than it is, well, it's, than it is for me at, at the absolute least. Yeah, it's a nice day out here. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, so uh, so this is this is fun because it's kind of we can we could talk about your um, your I guess journey as a uh, as a watchmaker, why you started the company, what your goals are, uh, how things are going, how the micro brands are doing. I mean, we talk a lot about we talk a lot about micro brands on the site on the site and on the podcast, and it'd be great to uh, great to hear how how the how the market is going for you guys. Yeah, for me, it's kind of an odd thing because I'm really not in the watch business. I'm really a guy. That, I'm not a watchmaker, by the way. I'm, yeah, I, yeah, I design yeah. watches. Yeah, of course. But I'm actually, I've got a watchmaker here on island who actually does the assembly for me. But for me, what uh, jazzes me up is doing the design work. So that's that's what I live for. And uh, just a little history. I started off on this because back about 2009 or so, I had a design for a watch. And I wanted to produce one watch for myself, one watch put on my wrist. That was it. Well, then, you know, you start the journey, you find out more about what's going on and how you get things made. And you find you have hundreds of cases, you know, 200 handsets, 100 dials. And you go, gee, I guess I'm in the watch business because I need to unload some of these things. <laughs> so I didn't do this to sell watches. I did this to put one watch I designed on my wrist. And then you just, I mean, I enjoy the watch business. Don't get me wrong. But uh, that wasn't my, you know, real intention starting off. So uh, a little unusual for most people. What was that first watch? What did it look like? It's my Kala watch, which is round. It has um, some rather semicircular lugs for top and bottom. In other words, they go across the top of the, the strap where it attaches to the watch body. And then I have a spinning second hand, which is a disc. So there's a cir- as Arrow described it, it's circles upon circles. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see. And, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. And it's still selling that watch. So I've got it in about 12 different variations or so, 12 different references, different dials, um, colorways. Can you see this, Nicholas? We'll put a, I'll put a link in here. Uh, yeah, so this get the is, link up here. So this is a pretty cool. This is a pretty cool design. So, like, what what inspired you to do this specific thing? And this is this. I'm assuming this was fairly hard to like source, right? Because you basically had to create a. You had to get those two top and bottom. Um, circular yeah, pieces to, of, to get on there. Yeah, I mean, you design the thing up in 2D, and then you realize that just looking at stuff in 2D doesn't work when you get it on your wrist. So I had done plastic prototypes, you know, using 3D printing, mm-hmm. outsource that stuff. You put it on your wrist, and you find out, whoa, you know, the uh, the lugs there are just sticking out in space. They're cantilevered. That doesn't work. Human wrist is curved, so then you angle those things down about 20 degrees or so, and then they start to fit a lot better. So went through a lot of, you know, prototyping until I got the design to where I liked it. And then uh, probably the biggest challenge is people, you know, sometimes say, what does it take to get into being a, a micro brand? The big thing is finding your sources. Um, you know, now I know that you can go actually out to probably somebody in Hong Kong and, and have them do the entire thing for you. But that mm-hmm. wasn't what I was doing. So for me, it was a matter of finding suppliers. They had to find a case maker. That's great. Um, tried cases, sample cases from a couple different people until I found one that had the level of you know fit and finish that I liked. I said, great, can you guys do dials and hands? Oh, no, we don't do that. So then I had to go find a dial maker. Fortunately, they did hands as well. And then you have to source your movements. So I get my uh, my movements from a guy in Switzerland, you know, and on and on. And then you get straps and you need travel cases and things like that. So it's, yeah, getting good suppliers that you like and you trust and that deliver, that's quite a bit of the battle, unless you're going to go to a single source and have them, you know, make some generic watch for you that looks like a, mm-hmm. you know, 
you know, you yeah. know, all know what the Kickstarter watches look like. The minimalist uh, Bauhaus yeah, the designs. Well, that's gonna, that's not what I'm looking for. We're going to cut out the middleman. Yeah, exactly right. We're going to save you money by selling direct. Yeah, exactly. I think that was. I think they that was a uh, that was a, that was Crazy Eddie's pitch too back in uh, back in the eighties. Yeah. So that's why I saw a lot of them on Kickstarter, you know, years ago too. And it's like, geez, that's pretty boring. So that wasn't my motivation at all. So let's say let's say we wanted to start a, a watch company now. What would you recommend people do? How would how would I mean? First off, would you recommend people do it at all? Uh, yeah, is this so well, like? <laughs> so difficult that it's like not even like why did I even get into this? Yeah, it was difficult for me because I had no idea, not being an industry insider in any capacity. I mean, I didn't work for watch stores. I wasn't really even much of a watch geek. I, you know, more of a design freak. I just like designing stuff. I'm actually a software engineer by day, but I've been always, you know, that kid that was drawing, you know, airplanes and house plans uh-huh. and things like that when I was young. So, you know, I've always had that kind of a, a bet. Um, but as far as like, how do you get into it? Uh, you know, it's funny. You can actually do something like go up on Kickstarter, just put up anything, put up nothing. And then you'll be flooded with people who say like, gee, I'd be happy to be your, your production partner and your film ah, okay. partner. No, okay. So actually people will come to you if you just, you know, get out there and troll a little bit. Um, but I, I don't really recommend that. I just find that kind of as a, as a funny way that, you know, you actually could probably, you know, snag some sources. But yeah, there are, there are people that will go out there and do the whole thing for you, whole project. But thing is unless you've got the ability to look at the engineering drawings yourself or make them yourself you're not really going to know what they're going to come up with until they do it and it mm-hmm. might or might not be what you're after so okay i'm kind of hesitant to tell people oh yeah and should people get into this business it all depends if you think you can make money great if that's yeah. what your goal is for me it was never really about making money it was i like to design cool things and turn them into a natural product and put it on my wrist mm-hmm. yeah, i'm looking at the kailua that's uh that's like sort of a I guess you could say it's like a almost like a tank style square kind of Santos Santos definitely style, a square watch. In fact, on my computer, yeah. that's what the uh, that's what my design drawings say a square watch. Okay, and I actually did about a dozen different dial designs for that, and I looked among the, the dozen or so that I developed and thought, like, okay, well, which one should I lead off with? And I happened to pick the Kailua because I had named all the designs, and so that's why it's that. But I may produce other watches with different dial designs, but using the same case, and I'll probably give them a different name. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely a square watch. And the, the idea on this, to me, I always like the, the shape of an emerald as a, you know, the way they're typically faceted, the so-called emerald cut gems. And I thought like, you know, something that's very geometric, but very uniform could work for a square watch. But you need to soften a few edges uh, here and there. So for instance, the way the crystal fits, it's got curved edges. Part of it's for water resistance, because, you know, making a, a crystal oh, okay. is absolutely square gaskets that's really tough to get any kind of waterproofing ah, okay um, and it makes them pretty twitchy too to get in so a little bit of curves on but basically it's a faceted thing and you know it, it looks simple it's intentional to actually make it so that the lugs flow into the uh, the case body that's actually harder than it looks in trying to get the right geometry so you get the spring bars down there where i like them i typically try and put the spring bars down there so they're lined up with at least the bottom of the crystal on the back mm-hmm. Is what that does, it puts a strap low enough that it's going to fit on your wrist well, as opposed to, once again, being cantilevered and sticking out in space. You, know, you want to get them down like this, not up like that. Otherwise, you know, the watch is going to rock around on your wrist. You ever have some of these thick divers, they've got a round back, it's almost uh-huh. like a bubble. You put it on your wrist and, you know, you can sit there with your hand and it just, it rocks around. I don't like that. I yeah. don't want that thing to sit still. That's It's, an, it's so, interesting to hear that because like, cause nobody ever talks about like, how these, like what you have to do in terms of design to get these things put together. 
And, and watch designers cheat a little bit too. They'll do them. They'll take a thick watch and make it look thinner. They'll just put the lugs up higher and assume that everything else is going to be just mashed into your wrist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sort of works a little bit, but it doesn't always, always wear well, even if it looks a little better. And that was one of the challenges too with the Kailua was to make a watch that I thought would be um, a little more mainstream in some ways and yet still interesting. I don't like just the traditional, you know, round, you know, the, what they call it, a circle with horns for a case mm-hmm. design. So for me, I always want to do something that's a little more interesting. Okay. Very cool. What's the, uh, what do you think about the industry right now? I mean, it feels like when you started, well, I mean, when we started the whole thing, uh, this podcast, even, I think the industry was, uh, is, it, it was superheated. Uh, it wasn't superheated. Then it got superheated over the pandemic. And now it's like, kind of like, now it's falling back down again. And that's my impression too. I got into watches right before the pandemic actually. And that's, that's, it feels like to me, that's when like the micro brands were just dominating news coverage and stuff. And, I don't know. Is that is that is that your experience as well? Has has I mean, I think you know, with uh, especially the, also the the crash of crypto, everyone was buying Rolexes, everyone was buying fancy watches. So, what's your kind of take now as as we sit here uh, at like twenty three? Uh, how's everything looking out there? Well, I'm I'm the wrong guy to answer because I'm such low volume, um, and the pandemic really didn't affect me too much. You're not selling a lot, either. You still don't sell a lot, but I think you're right. In that watches like Rolex, the last few years, the Rolexes, the you know, the Royal Oaks, those guys have just become crazy. Like you say, it may well be because people had crypto money to burn. Um, but it got to where, yeah, there were two or three watches that people would pay anything for. You know, you could, I think at some points, people were buying steel Daytonas mm-hmm. for more than they could have bought, you know, a gold watch from Rolex. Yeah. Well, that's, that's pretty inverted. I think the, the, uh, the Technautilus, which I like, was at 5711, got to be worth, that cost more money than the, the travel time, which is their dual time zone watch, which I, I like an awful lot. You know, so, yeah, the things got completely out of whack financially because the things were driven to buy demand. And I don't know if that was from speculation or, like you say, because there was just too much money floating around with people who were trying to make a quick buck. So I don't know. I, I don't know how much of that actually spilled over to the micro brands. In other words, did they prosper? Yeah, that's a, I really that's a good don't question. Know. Yeah. Did, did I, uh, it's, yeah, it's a good question. I just remember seeing there were like a million brands. Uh, when I first was first got yeah. in, getting into this, there was there were a lot of brands. And I didn't I didn't know any. I mean, I arguably still don't know anything, but I didn't know anything at all about this space. And it felt like any any watch website was was talking about all these micro brands. And I was like, oh, I guess that's what this is. This is all about. And, you know, yeah. I don't know. I think, it's, yeah, it's kind of like the revenge travels happening now. I think that what happened during the pandemic is that people couldn't get out. So instead of going on vacation, you sit around. That's why Amazon did fantastic. You know, they had a hard time delivering the stuff. They couldn't get it through the supply chain and out to people. But the orders were, were crazy. Um, you know, I did the same thing. I was buying stuff on Amazon. Of course, I normally do anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but how much of that spilled over the microbrands, I really don't know. Because people were buying things. But were they only buying from people they already knew about ahead of time? Was it that pent up demand, or you know, it's like you're not going to the movies, you're not going on vacation. Let's buy some stuff, something that can get delivered. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One other question I had you you mentioned you're a software engineer by trade, and I, I yeah. there was a story that went around maybe a year ago, maybe less, about like how basically everyone in Silicon Valley they all got into like mechanical watches that, you know, they're surrounded by computers and tech all day. And the watch is the one kind of, it's the one mechanical thing in their life. That's not a screen. Uh, can you go into like, how did you get into what, like why, you know, why watches of all the things that one could get into? Uh, what is it about watches that you said you wanted, you just wanted to design one and, and, and yeah. bring it into the universe. So what's your story there? 
Well, you know, as a kid, I was I was drawing airplanes too, but I can't uh, afford to have a, an airplane made to my specs either. So a watch is probably a more affordable way to have something, you know, the creation of your head getting onto your wrist than it is to have a car in your driveway or an airplane on your uh, in your own hangar. So it's an approachable item for me. So that's why I feel like, oh, I can do this. Um, but yeah, I like designing all kinds of things, you know, as an armchair guy. But what really happened with the watches is you realize how much you don't know. Uh, when I first started off on this, if you were to ask me, okay, what's what's above the other one in most watches, the hour hand or the minute hand? I'd have to go look. I wouldn't have known. Mm, okay. So, you know, the uh, the learning curve was was very steep and, and long, and you still learn things. That's part of what's attractive about it to me is by having a curious mind, you know, I, I want to know more about stuff. I mean, when you first start to read and visualize how watch escapement works, it's like, that's voodoo. That's magic, man. Who came up with that? That is so cool, and it's still hard to describe. You know, because you've got the competing things, you got the impulse, you got the you know the power that goes to it, and yet it winds up being a regulation. So it's it's do it's a two trick pony, not a one trick pony. It's just amazing. Uh, but to get back to your question, why the Silicon Valley guys like it? Uh, I think it's boys and toys, and I think that even though we may be software guys or computer guys, we still like hardware. I think you'll probably find that the guys who have a lot of money in Silicon Valley, they're not just buying those those million dollar. Um, uh, forgetting the name of the watch. Anyway, they'll also buy the million-dollar cars. You know, these are also the guys that are buying the McLarens and the Ferraris and things mm-hmm. like that. I think, that, you know, they like mechanical things. There's nothing wrong with that. And and the fact that, the you know, the cyber world and IT is what got the money, yeah, they'll still buy the, the boy toys. So I don't think that part's changed. I mean, it sounds like you're saying that the that for you specifically, there there's not really ups and downs. Do you think the... Do you think there's a new, are you noticing a newer generation cutting into getting into watches, getting into your watches specifically, or is it a, uh, or is it kind of the, 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 the folks who might be a little more our age who are, uh, yeah. who are thinking about this stuff? Yeah. For me, and again, it's really hard to tell because I have such low volume and sometimes I've had things sold through retailers here on islands. So you don't always know who your customer is in the same way. But for me, it seems to have been. People who are more our age, I would say the over 30 crowd. In fact, sometimes even more than that, um, which is funny because I don't think my watches are necessarily old fuddy-duddy watches, but that may be the point where people either have the money to afford a nicer watch. Because I'm not, I'm not selling a $500 watch. I'm, they're a little more than that. Still trying to keep them affordable, but uh, they're up there where people have to stop and think about it unless you've got enough discretionary income. Or, you know, so no, for me, it's, it's people that are probably in the area of, I would say, 30 to 60 something like that. Well, Mark, uh, this has been very cool. Thank you for joining us. This is uh, where, where can people find out more about what you, uh, about your watches? Yeah. Mark Carson.com. M A R K C A R S O N.com. All right. Uh, so check those out. It's a, uh, it's very cool. I like the, I like the Koa dial. That's uh, that's, that's nice. The, uh, the wooden one, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's one of those things that looks a lot better in person because the uh, Koa wood, that's what we call, it's a naturally figured wood, which means it's got kind of a naturally polarized grain to it. So if you put that out in the sun and then you change the angle of the dial a little bit, you'll see the light and dark stripes actually change. But it's kind of like tiger's eye, you know, it um, it moves around. So it doesn't photograph nearly as neat as it actually is. It's one of those things that uh, does better in a retail environment because you can actually see it and play with it. So it's a little piece of Hawaiian koa wood and it's then bonded to a normal brass dial. All right, very cool. All right. Well, this has been the Hour Time Podcast. Thank you, Mark, for joining us. This is a uh, this is a real treat, and I think we should do this more often. You have to let us know when you have a when you have something new coming out. Okay, I probably have a couple new dials coming out in twenty twenty four. It's All been right. great talking to you guys. I appreciate it. All right. This has been the Hour Time Podcast. I'm John Biggs. 
I'm Nicholas DeLeon. And we will see you next week. Thank you for watching or listening to The Hour Time Show, the official podcast of wristwatchreview.com. If you'd like to help the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or like the video on YouTube. And make sure you subscribe with the notification bell turned on so you know exactly when the latest episode is released. Episodes are usually published on Monday mornings, Eastern Time. If you'd like to hang out with John, Victor, and Nicholas, as well as the growing Hour Time community, please feel free to join our Discord. A link to the Discord is included in the description below, as well as in the episode show notes. Lastly, be sure to visit wristwatchreview.com and follow at wristwatchreview on Instagram for more fun watch content. Thank you, and have a great week.